because I really miss the Holocene right now. Wow. Sounds like you're pretty nostalgic. (laughs) (laughs) One might say that I have Holocene nostalgia. (laughs) Not only are we going to lose listeners, I'm also going to lose friends. Okay. From this. Um, It's okay. Okay. (laughs) None of my friends listen, so I'm not going to lose any friends. (laughs) All right. So... It's 2020-ish. Yeah, new decade for us, and it's off to a really shit start, huh? Yeah. So we're going to talk about Australia for a little bit, I guess. Um, I was just, this morning, because we were originally going to do the whole episode on the bushfires, um, and I was like, oh, I really need to catch up, because I've been so bogged down in, in work recently that mm-hmm. I haven't had really any time for anything. Um and the top news story, I mean, then we'll get into the real stuff, but the top news story is that it uncovered um, more pathways of an ancient like aquaculture system by the indigenous people, and it's like older than the pyramids and one of the oldest in Whoa. the world. So that's cool, like, but like bushfires are not cool. Um, it was basically an old trapping system to trap eels and stuff. That's um, so cool. So it's like really elaborate, and um, that's cool, but you know. Uh, a billion animals dying is not cool, right? At all, yeah. Um, I can't even comprehend a billion animals, like what that number means. It's really hard to comprehend. The thing about climate change is it always like ventures into that territory of just complete incomprehensibility for me. Like, what are these numbers? What do they actually look like? What do they mean for me? living here in tucson arizona like you know it's so just totally separated by all these abstractions and abstractions and abstractions i think it's still pretty incomprehensible and i feel like we probably won't understand the scale of that particular burning for quite some time right um or like the implications of it but uh it is so wide ranging like i work with turtles sometimes and there's this specific manning river turtle that um became way more vulnerable just because of these fires and not having habitat um jesus so it's not just the koalas although i feel really my heart hurts for them too well i did like a third grade project on koalas and they were really i thought they were the coolest thing ever so i was very devastated by this my third grade self would have been very upset (laughs) the responses though have been very strange like the jenners and the kardashians posting shit like Australia, climate change is real, heartbreak emoji, and then the very next post will be like them getting on their private jet or whatever. Like the disconnect that people think that somehow the system that they participate in or benefit from isn't directly responsible. Like that sort of mental block needs to break somehow, and I don't know how we go about breaking that for any real change to happen. Yeah. I feel like I had like a total moment of dissociation when I read Kim Kardashian's uh, climate change is real world emoji, heartbreak emoji, because I was like, what is this? Like, (gasps) this is so strange to see. Yeah, it's bizarre. Because that was like, that was in her eyes, a really genuine 
tweet and I'm like, girl, it's 2020. Like Al Gore did this a while ago. Um, 1912 they had this idea you know yeah, like, Charles Ferrier literally had this idea yeah. and there was consensus on it in 1988 yeah like Kurt Cobain rose to fame and died on in the Anthropocene you know what I mean like things that we think of as being so distant now like Aaron Carter's I Want Candy came out after we had scientific consensus on climate change yeah yeah we had Soldier Boy tell him you know, like <laughs> Crank Dad Soldier Boy. We already had scientific consensus on climate change when Crank Dad Soldier Boy came out. Yeah, to watch like the cultural landscape continue to unfold, even though we have knowledge of its destructive abilities, is really, I feel like, crazy to watch. Right. And I think that's the one that I'll be able to wrap my head around if I can't wrap my head around what actually goes on in the natural world. Because I've never really been an outdoorsy person, but watching the cultural sort of shifts is something I might be able to keep around my head. And I actually really like that about you, too, because I feel like um, people see even climate change and like environmentalism as like an outdoorsy person's uh, issue and like really what we need is a bunch of people who care about different things and are interested in different things mm-hmm. working on this. Mm-hmm. So your interest in ur- your interest in urban landscapes is just as important as like the person that goes out and like looks at trees. Yeah, so 2020 starts with that massive bushfire killing off almost a billion animals and the repercussions of it will be seen for a long time. Australia's government is actually still going forward on building this coal plant that was highly contentious because the runoff from it would enter into the Great Barrier Reef. Um, yeah, Adani. Yeah. It's called. Do you want to talk more about that? You you follow that pretty closely, huh? Um, I haven't followed it now for a while, but um, yeah, they were going to build a coal mine. I mean, the coal country, as I understand it, is mostly around the Great Barrier Reef, mm-hmm. and that's been a major issue with the great barrier reef is that um australia still has strong coal dependencies i believe they export it as well um but yeah it's it's part of their economy and it's something that um you know with all the money they're throwing at the great barrier reef for quote-unquote solutions the ones that they aren't tackling are like the major drivers so there's just usually like they use like they're trying to find new tech to save the great barrier reef but really what the great barrier reef needs is like not having coal dumped into its waters right and like it seems like tons of countries are spending billions on band-aids like um venice spent like half a billion dollars on this floodwater prevention um device apparatus i don't know what to call it it's massive um it's like and the amount of endemic corruption in italy that uh, skim money off the top of it was unbelievable like unfathomable and then even um when the project gets finally done which it won't like at the time it gets done projected sea level rise will render it obsolete already right i mean it is like an interesting thing to watch unfold is um the fact that most large-scale uh ideas of how to fix things is always like to find a new innovation rather than to stop um the things that were the drivers of the need for that innovation. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
so 2020 we had those fires and then also we almost went to war with iran and why are we talking about war with iran on this climate change podcast you may ask because war in the middle east has always been about oil will always be about oil and the amount of emissions that the united states military puts out is unbelievable they are the largest entity for emissions in the world more than royal shell and bp combined arms manufacturing jet fuel um all these things require immense amounts of energy the amount of servers that the pentagon uses are just massive emitters so there's no way to maintain our current like imperial order in the anthropocene as a matter of and but it will paradoxically ramp up because global warming and drought and resource scarcity are amplifiers of violence and that is probably the most horrifying part of the anthropocene to me as a person from the middle east and with family from the middle east that these resource droughts and the and um you know the the sort of rush to get the last oil that exists will end up killing millions and millions of people out of just sheer greed and and am feel absolutely powerless to stop it that was a really crazy way to enter 2020 and for me that's also pinging on um i'm going to be queen of referencing something but not knowing my citations again (laughs) but um (laughs) reigning champ yeah reigning champ of just saying things and being like i don't know who said this um But uh, I, in my climate change focus class in college, we did a reading about how labor could activate um, in the coal era and how that's not possible with oil. Um, Because, like, the pipeline for coal is so direct. Like, you take it out of the mine and then you put it on a train and it gets taken and distributed and so coal workers whenever they felt that they were doing and that an injustice was being done to them they would cut off one of the lines of supply and then um it meant that the people extracting or the the powers that be that be um had to negotiate with them directly and the thing with oil is that it's not such a linear process and like oil pipelines can go in so many directions from one source uh, that that makes that kind of action to stop that from happening um, pretty impossible. Yeah, um, but I think that is supposing that we still um, that we're that coal is done. Like there's still a right, lot of right. coal in the world. No, for sure. Yeah, but yeah, I'm. I guess like um, maybe not directly, but like thinking along that line, like in terms of all the different ways that oil is being uh, activated in the Middle East. Um, And, like, I wonder what the mechanisms would be to push against that. Right. um, And there there is such an indirect way to cut off that supply, if that makes sense. Right. And, like, it's not that Iran has a lot of uh, oil. I'm not what that's not what I'm saying. That would be factually incorrect. It's that Iran poses a threat to Saudi Arabia, which is the United States's main one of the United States's main suppliers of oil. Actually, the U.S. is the world's number one oil exporter or producer. Sorry, because of Barack Obama, who platformed on a green fucking green campaign but he turned the united states into the world's number one oil producer but that's a tangent sorry 
And also, well, I mean, to go off that tangent, too, there's that recent news that um, huge swaths of of protected land are going to probably be opened up again for drilling. Jesus. Yeah, and Russia has uh, released a report about how the melting of Siberia will um, make getting oil so much easier and better for them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, oil oil tankers in Saudi Arabia are the American interests that America is using to justify Iran, like doing violence against Iran or thinking that Iran is some kind of enemy when really Iran has done nothing to the United States that wasn't retaliatory for what the U.S. did to Iraq and to Iran in the 2000s and in the 90s, just interfering with all their local politics and just trying to make Saudi Arabia the hegemon of the region because Saudi Arabia sends one million barrels of oil to the United States a day. (sighs) That hurts. I didn't know that. Yeah, one million barrels of crude oil a day from Saudi Arabia to the United States. And the United States doesn't need it. It just stockpiles oil. There's abandoned coal mines in Kentucky full of stockpiles and stockpiles of U.S. oil. I wonder, yeah, wow. What is that logic? I'm sorry, I'm just like totally spacing. Like, what? How does that work? It's because our relations with those countries are good now, and if they're not good, we don't want to have them just like jack up the price of oil on us, and then we get screwed, is sort of the But if we have all the resources here, like what's the the contention there? Why why is that? Do you know what it... Because they know that it's a limited resource. It's unbelievable. They're like, well, this resource is scarce, so we're just going to stockpile it in in the event of something going down. And I see, I see. Okay. To make this further depressing is that if all the stockpiles of oil in the world, because the United States is not the only country that stockpiles oil, if all the stockpiles of oil in the world are to be used, we cross two degrees. Right. Um, that's kind of like I read this piece about a potential carbon bubble in the economy where like companies are able to value their company based on their assets, which obviously is what values a company, but some assets include like oil and gas reserves. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you think through the line of like logic with that, um, if those, if we are to stay at a livable amount on the planet like a lot like something a huge amount of those assets cannot be burned and therefore cannot be sold and therefore the companies are massively overvalued that's the current lawsuit against exxon um right now is that exxon projects its internal projections like say they have like a a realistic estimation of what a carbon tax would be in their internal projections, but then they're lying to their shareholders about what that carbon tax would be, um, like halving it or whatever. So shareholders thought that they were buying something more valuable than it is. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Which is like not Exxon's biggest evil by any stretch of the imagination. Right, right, right. But um, yeah, the news of the Iran war broke and then I like went to work. And just this, the crazy thing about the Anthropocene and just like the w- thing that just really fucks me up is that the, the we are flying. Like, I can't express this enough how quickly we are hurtling towards unbreakable um, 
points, points that we can't return from and how much we've already passed. But we still do things like go to work and argue with our, you know, um, significant other about who has to fold the laundry and just like do the mundane daily tasks while the world is on fire. Yeah, I had that. um, I had that kind of huge dissonance, too, because um, like I got back online because I was out of the country and then in that morning I found out that I got into graduate school but then I also was reading up on Iran and the bushfires and so like people were really excited for me having gotten into the place that I wanted to get into Mm -hmm. but then like do you want to say the name of the place on the show (laughs) the really illustrious name of that really illustrious university that's super prestigious um (laughs) Wouldn't it be just fun for them to guess? Right, guess. It doesn't, it's not Harvard. <laughs> That's all <Yeah>. I'll say. <laughs> um, um, and it's in a country that recently did some kind of exit or wants to do some kind of exit, <laughs> just to give you another hint. So there's two <laughs> options, basically. Basically. Um, but yeah, so like it was really weird because I feel like everyone was really excited for me, but I couldn't help but feel just like sad. And also like what did that that getting into that thing really matter? Yeah. Like, you know, like that was kind of one of my, like I was excited for about five minutes and then I was like, well, what what is this going to do? And like, how do I continue to go on a path that really matters? And I still hope that like going to school will put me on to more things and I I'm excited for the education that I'm gonna get there but Mm -hmm. like it was this kind of dissonance between like seeing the big scale of like what's going on in the world and how bad it is and then also these small victories um such as a personal thing of like getting into a school if that makes sense right but isn't that like yes the circumstances are different but more and more I've been coming to realize that all our stories are kind of like stories of individual conflict set against like these crazy historical backdrops. Like the Iliad is the story of just, you know, Achilles or just a dude who's angry because he got cucked or whatever it is. Right. Set against the backdrop of this huge war. Right. And just, uh, I think that stories are hugely important. And I'd like to one day do an episode about climate fiction because I think that there's a shortage Mm. of good climate fiction. Um, Ursula K. Le Guin is the only one. Ursula K. Le Guin is not the only one. No, I I don't know if she's actually the only one. I I was just, you know. I, I do love Ursula K. Le Guin, but I think that there needs to be stories about what it's like to be alive now under climate change i read a book called gun island by amitav ghosh and amitav ghosh is like a pretty um famous novelist who wrote a book called the great uh derangement where he talks about how we need to reckon with climate change so i was like really excited for this book to come out his finally he's releasing a climate change novel and it was just like joyless and so obvious and just like unless you were already on board with what he was saying you wouldn't care and like the feelings of any of these characters directed at this thing were just like not expressed at all it just was not good and Mm. it was really disappointing I feel like what's I'm thinking about now with this is like um I I I took a class on like anthropology of science and we were talking Mm -hmm. about how science is a paradigm and then like the breakthrough scientists tend to be when there's like a rupture in the paradigm Mm -hmm. so like when 
people can no longer accept the things that they've been accepting passively to be the truth, then there's like this new thing that come about can come about. And I feel like that's what we're having culturally now. Like we're at a point of rupture where we can't continue to accept the way that um, our dominant culture has been um, existing. And I feel like while there is a lot of um, dread and grief and being afraid, like it's also a cool time to be a cr- like creative and human. Yes. You know, because we have to reinvent what we're doing and how we're living and think about what actually matters to us right and like forge new trajectories and like it's so cool to be alive in that moment where we get to have that creativity and rethink rather than being like in the middle of a paradigm where right um, you're just accepting that's like the silver lining of it all is that um we can reimagine what our relation to the world is like now but it comes at a tremendous cost. But if, I mean, without global warming, I wanted to be a music journalist. Like I wanted to write album reviews and now I'm not doing that, obviously, because it feels silly to do that. Yeah, I wanted to be a dancer. (laughs) Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, which I still love it, but I did feel like I wanted to, I was a tap dancer for many years. Oh my God. I really love that community, um, but I did also feel like there was something beyond that that I needed to do. Although I do think that, like, you take all the former versions of yourself and, like, try and activate them in the thing you care about, right? Like, Yeah, or that the self doesn't exist if you're Deleuze. You're just a body without organs moving through intensities. I started a reading club, and we're reading uh, Deleuze on Sunday. (laughs) I love that so much. Um, but that's only the first one. I would read Deleuze every week if um, if the group would let me, but I don't think they we, will. Ish had Ish and I had like a little like prep catch up call like a, I don't know maybe two weeks ago, and he was like, "I'm trying to pick things that like people can read in that amount of time. I would otherwise just do Deleuze all the time." <laughs> well, I picked. He also uh, accidentally sent me a Deleuze video and was like, "Whoops, sorry." wrong person (laughs) and i was like that's the best wrong person text i've ever no i had the wrong thing copy pasted i think (laughs) but regardless um i think he's actually really useful for the anthropocene like and and um as much as i like to think about different philosophers or whatever i'm trying to find works that have use to me in terms of how I ought to navigate this moment. Yeah, like more tactile ones, do you mean? Yeah, or, yeah. Or ones yeah. that can provoke the kind of ideas that will push me forward rather than just the kind of ideas that will leave me sitting in my room thinking. Yeah, yeah. I'm also trying to uh, go across those bounds like and try, yeah, trying to read some things that are like about uh yeah philosophical and maybe the big picture but also like how can i activate something in the very real world yeah you touched on something earlier and i want to go back to it you talked about how um we're coming at the precipice of a paradigm shift um and i think we are but i don't think it's widely it's, I don't think it's fully diffused yet. 
you understand what I mean? Like in our bubble, it that's a real reality. Totally. Yeah. And it yeah. becomes our job to to spread dread if in some ways, which is terrible, but like unfortunately that's what we have to do is spread dread so that people have enough of it that they stop participating in the dominant forms that brought us to this point right yeah i'm trying to think about that i mean yeah it it is it's very true that um it is a bubble and to be aware of the scope that this is not a dominant thought for other people right it's very real this like just purely the stakes like that we know how high the stakes are is not yeah. is not a widely decimated constant ringing in people's ears. Yeah. What did you see in 2020 that you really liked? Um I the other day went to visit Fresh Kills Landfill in Staten Island cuz it's like one of the largest man-made structures on earth and Yeah, it's um, unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to see it and there were a bunch of reeds, like tall grasses there and the light was shining through them. So they were really golden and like backlit and stuff. And I thought that was really beautiful to see them in the, in the breeze. Was it, um, one of their open days or is it fully open to the public now? Cause I know there was no, only like two days it, it a year. It was not open. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. There's like two days a year where you can go and just like run around fresh kills. Yeah. Which is like a strange name for that landfill because all the debris from 9-11 is in there. And like I know, yeah, the remains of people, like presumably, is in there. And it's called Fresh Kills. But it's because it kills means waterway in Dutch, I think. Right. Like the Catskills and stuff. Yeah. What was your kind of little thing? Ooh. I've been seeing a lot of birds of prey. Ooh. Um, but I also saw like uh, the internal spine of a cactus recently, and I see it all the time. But I never oh, really paid attention. Of like, you know, cactuses—they just die sometimes, and and probably related to climate change. Maybe not. Who knows? Like you, you can't really tell when you look at an individual climate uh, cactus, but just the sort of network of webs inside the cactus over like the skeleton i guess is just this really gorgeous web that looks like a spider web or something and it's so geometric and and you can almost convince yourself that that nature has an order and that it's doing all right and that all be all right and that's nice yeah i love that all right uh, all right Episode no six. cheesy outro though. No cheesy. <laughs> Episode yeah. six. Thank, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye. Bye. that you don't know what you've got till it's gone. It paradise. Put up a parking lot.